The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Friday, July 1st. One of the most closely watched fights in crypto might sound a little obscure, but it's really important. It pits a company called Grayscale Investments against the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a crucial regulator. And it involves so-called exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, which are a very popular type of investment vehicle. Grayscale has been lobbying regulators to allow it to convert one of its existing crypto products, one of the biggest in the market, into an ETF. This week, the SEC rejected their petition. Grayscale has been very clear that they've been preparing for a fight and that they intend to take that fight to court. They've geared up accordingly. Earlier this month, they hired Donald Varelli, a top White House lawyer during the Obama administration. Bloomberg reporter Katie Greifeld joins me to examine why this fight is so important to crypto. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Please explain what is going on here. So we're talking about ETFs, my favorite topic. These are exchange-traded funds. And it's basically packaging an entire portfolio into a fund. A portfolio of stocks, of... Of bonds. Mm -hmm. Everything basically except physical Bitcoin can be put into an ETF. It's a great question. Everyone in the crypto ecosystem wants to know that answer. And there's not a good one. So when you think about the SEC, they let the first derivatives-backed crypto funds launch in October. They haven't approved a physically-backed Bitcoin ETF. Uh, It's unclear why. It could have to do with the fact that if you think about Bitcoin derivatives, for example, they oversee the CME, the Chicago Mercantiles Exchange. They're overseen by the CME. Yeah, the SEC oversees the CME Mm -hmm. where these derivatives trade. But the SEC doesn't have any oversight into crypto exchanges. That could be a reason, but it is a real frustration point for the industry. But there's a slightly wild thing that you said, which is like physical Bitcoin. Mm -hmm literally impossible in a digital asset context. So when we're talking about the difference between, you know, when we say a physical Bitcoin-backed ETF versus a derivatives Bitcoin-backed ETF, like how does that really shape out in practice? Right. So an ETF, which again, it hasn't been approved, it would be basically the ETF holding X amount of Bitcoin to back up X amount of assets, similar to the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which we'll talk about. Because you haven't seen these physically backed ETFs get approved, basically these Franken funds (laughs) have sprung up. Where you have a bunch of trusts, for example, that Mm -hmm. hold crypto that own a certain amount of coins, whereas these derivatives backed ETFs, obviously, they they hold derivatives. Yep. And in in this case, futures Mm -hmm. on on crypto prices, Bitcoin prices specifically. So Grayscale has this trust. It is a non-trivial market player in that it is the single largest crypto slash Bitcoin holding trust 
listed in the United States, they really want to convert it to an ETF. Why is that conversion so important to them? So it gets into, obviously, how an ETF is set up, and it's a little bit nitty-gritty, but basically ETFs, you're able to create and redeem shares to sort of shift with market demand. So you have these specialized traders. They're known as authorized participants, and as demand cools, they can destroy shares, and that keeps sort of the price of the Bitcoin, or rather the price of the ETF, in line with the net asset value, what it truly holds. That entire process doesn't exist when it comes to these trusts. These trusts can't redeem shares. They can only create shares. So as you can imagine, sort of the price of these trusts can get way out of whack Mm -hmm. with the actual net asset value, which is exactly what's happened here. And when we're talking about the net asset value, we're talking about the value of the underlying stuff. Exactly. That's that's in the trust. And in the case of grayscales, where what has happened there? It's like, Is their net asset value bigger than where they're trading? Is it smaller? Like, what's the direction? It's so interesting if you look at the long-term chart, because for years, the price of the trust traded at this enormous premium to the net asset value of the actual coins. Mm -hmm. And Grayscale, as a result, there were a bunch of shares created. Now you're in, in an environment, this dynamic is that you've had all this demand cool People have sold their GBD shares in the secondary market, but those shares that were created, hundreds of millions of shares, can't be destroyed. So now the price of the trust is trading at an enormous discount to the net asset value. The last time I checked, it was somewhere between 25 to 30 percent below. Which is obviously not something they're super happy with and not necessarily something those shareholders are super happy with. Exactly. And Grayscale has argued if this was converted into an ETF, you'd see that discount repaired immediately if you were able to have that AP process. And I forget... That authorized participant. Exactly. And I think they've argued it would unlock something $8 billion in value if that discount was repaired. That's their position. And so that's really why that they are putting so much muscle behind trying to get the SEC to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. But of course, the SEC has now made it clear that they're going to reject and they have rejected that ETF application. So it sounds like the next step is the lawsuit. Yep. The next step is the lawsuit. And they filed that within an hour of that SEC denial. They were watching and waiting. So suggest that they were expecting a denial. We'll be right back with more from Katie Greitfeld talking about Grayscale's unsuccessful bid to convert its Bitcoin trust into an ETF. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. So, Casey, what exactly were Grayscale doing to make their case to regulators then? What did that effort look like? What what did they do to try to persuade regulators? Well, they hired really a rock star legal team. Form, former U.S. Solicitor General Don Verrilli was part of that effort. They hired him in June. They also have motivated this letter writing campaign. The mm-hmm. SEC has actually received thousands of letters from people writing in, asking, beseeching the SEC to convert GBTC into an ETF, obviously, that didn't quite make a dent. 
On that note, actually, our colleagues at Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg TV spoke with the Grayscale Investment CEO, Michael Sonnenschein, back in March. Let's listen to what he had to say. I think all options are on the table. I think certainly it's important that between now and the end of that 240-day process, which ends in early July, that the SEC hears from as many investors as possible, as well as academics, policymakers. Everybody has an opportunity to weigh in on this issue. And all of that is, in fact, considered as the SEC weighs the issue in front of them. That was a pretty explicit warning of what was to come, as they've now confirmed that they're absolutely suing the SEC. They're not the only people who want this to happen, though. There are various other folks who have also tried to get U.S. regulators to approve their physically backed Bitcoin ETF. And in each case, the regulators have been like, no. Big time. (laughs) There is a long line of broken hearts of you know, the SEC rejecting these spot Bitcoin approvals basically since the Winklevoss twins back in 2013. I think the first application was filed. So there's there's a pretty long history of this. Regulators don't seem to have come around. We may be facing some interesting legal challenges from a like practical, non-billionaire, non-trust owning perspective. Why do other participants in crypto care about this fight? Like, what does the existence of a spot Bitcoin ETF unlock more broadly? The argument that you would hear is that it could potentially bring more people into the industry. I mean, at this point, probably everyone who wants to buy Bitcoin has probably found a way to. But think about, you know, retirement accounts, for example. They probably don't want to set up crypto wallets and the likes and have to deal with keys, et cetera, et cetera. Buying an ETF is much easier. And then you think about you know, your average investor who maybe doesn't want to deal with all of that either, Mm -hmm. they can buy and trade ETFs on their brokerage platforms. So that's an argument. And also, if you think about the different ways that retail and normal investors can get access right now, they can go to Coinbase and some would argue get ripped off on the fees, whereas ETFs, they tend to have lower costs. They're tax efficient. That enables them to have lower expense ratios than other types of products, for example. So the argument that folks make here is even if you are not a highly motivated billionaire, you as a retail investor would potentially benefit from having more access to these kinds of financial products. Exactly. And I mean, you've seen ETFs expand that access in the past. If you think about the commodity markets, for example, you know, a normal person really can't Or gold bars. Exactly. (laughs) Or buy barrels of oil. And for the fixed income markets, too. I mean, getting that access through ETFs is easier Mm -hmm. if you are a normal person. So they filed this lawsuit, as you say, within an hour of the rejection. What are the next steps from here? It's a great question. So we actually spoke to Grayscale CEO Michael Sonnenschein on TV on Thursday, asking him that question. What is your end game? The end game, of course, being... ETF conversion. If they win, that's assuming what would happen. The timeline there is interesting. It could be nine to 12 months, Hmm. could be longer, could be shorter, but they've been guided to expect that this will be a nine to 12 month process. Who knows where Bitcoin will be trading in nine to 12 months? Oh my gosh, who knows where any of us will be (laughs) in nine to 12 months, but it should be a really interesting ride. And I don't know. We'll see. There is there is talk of perhaps the shareholders of GBTC filing a Regulation M lawsuit to try to force redemptions, change it so that GBTC actually could redeem. But again, that's a hypothetical and it's a long shot. Well, that's definitely something we would be watching and reporting on if that does actually happen. Oh, yeah. I'm all on it. Is there any sense of 
you know, I don't know whether this is like class action-y in the sense that we've seen in other parts of crypto where disgruntled investors get together and they're like, we're all in this, we have complaints. Is the Grayscale lawsuit against the SEC just them or are they joined by any other parties? I believe it's just them. But if you sort of look at the public opinion court, that is Twitter, it seems like a lot of people are applauding their efforts, you know, having a crypto firm actually sue a U.S. regulator. I mean, this is something that I was talking about with my editors on Wednesday night as this news was breaking. You know, we've gotten a lot of spot Bitcoin application rejections. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen someone go all the way and actually sue the SEC. So, I mean, to their credit, they're uh, they're backing up their talk. And you haven't heard from any of your other sources that other firms may be considering either joining that legal action or making, you know, legal maneuvers of their own. Haven't heard that yet. And sort of conversations about what a Reg M lawsuit would look like, that would be more of a class action feeling where it would be probably a group of investors, grayscale Bitcoin trust shareholders getting together and filing that. When you interviewed Sonnenshine, was there anything that he said that sounded like surprising to you? You know, this is this is a story that you've been covering for a long, long time at this point. What was his vibe? Uh, definitely not thrilled with the SEC. That was number one. I would say uh, we asked him a lot of questions that he did not answer on live television. But I mean, questions I have that I would love answered is whether Three Arrows Capital, whether they're still the biggest institutional shareholder. That's a big one. Also, is there any situation in which they would liquidate GBTC? Because if the goal is shareholder value at this point, obviously the SEC is digging in here and not going to approve a conversion. I mean, your shareholders are just left in this sort of broken fund, trading at a 30% discount. So how long that can continue or how patient shareholders can be, uh, it's an open question. I think as a sort of a final question, are there other countries that have already allowed retail investors to get access to Bitcoin through ETFs? Yes, and that is a very annoying fact uh, to both the crypto (laughs) and the ETF industry participants. You have physically backed Bitcoin and crypto ETFs in Europe, for example, and in Canada Mm -hmm. launched their first series of funds. I think it was last February. A bit of breaking news this week, which is really exciting to the crypto community. You had issuer Purpose Investments say that Canadian regulators have approved their Bitcoin ETF. So these products have existed in other parts of the world for years now. How are they performing? Not great, (laughs) as you would imagine, because think of what they are. I mean, the ETF product at the end of the day, it's just a wrapper. Mm -hmm. So they haven't been doing great, I would say. And if you look at in the U.S., you don't have a spot Bitcoin ETF. Again, you have sort of these Franken funds. You also have crypto linked equity ETFs, which are actually far underperforming Bitcoin itself. And those crypto-linked equity ETFs are things like, here's Coinbase, here's MicroStrategy, mm-hmm. here's other crypto-related companies in a pile. Essentially, you have, you know, the miners ETFs, mm-hmm. you have blockchain technology ETFs Web3. of the like. Exactly, exactly. And NFT ETFs, which again, don't hold actual NFTs. Right. They merely have abstract thoughts about them. Just the idea. Thank you, Casey. You can find more of Katie's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, and on Twitter at K Greifeld. That's K-G-R-E-I-F-E-L-D. In June, Senators Kirsten Gillibrand and Cynthia Loomis introduced a sweeping Senate bill that would regulate crypto assets. Influential crypto insiders hailed the proposal as a great starting point. 
a reception which suggests it might be perceived as relatively friendly to the digital asset community. Hillary Allen, a law professor at American University, is a critic of the proposed legislation. She doesn't think it goes far enough, especially when it comes to consumer protection. Professor Allen will join me next Tuesday after the July 4th holiday here in the U.S. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your questions, comments, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. And you'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of this episode is Vicky Vergalina. Associate producer is Moses Andam. Associate producer is Ty Butler. Desta Wanderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Bloomberg's head of podcasts is Francesca Levy. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.